0: Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. What up, peeps? Guy Adami here, all fired up because Pete Alonso lost last night. It makes me so happy. He's so (laughs) into it. It's a joke that's probably for another show that's Dan Nathan this is Market Call it is Tuesday July going by like that that was a great snap by me Dan today's Market Call brought to you by CME Group where risk meets opportunity Dan we are powered by open exchange as the as the song goes uh, I think it was Dinosaur Shore or somebody like that I'm not really sure What a difference a day makes, Dan Nathan. Well, listen, you know, when we
1: started Market Call yesterday, 24 hours ago, Guy, you know, the stock market felt like it was on good footing, Mm -hmm. right? It was up about. 1% 1% or so. The Nasdaq was up a little more. We had the dollar up. We had, well, actually the dollar was off, right? And and we had crude rally and that relationship felt pretty decent in a way. We know that a lot of those industrial commodities, we're going to hit some of those in a little bit, you know, have come off here. And so again, you know, yields have been kind of stuck right here. You've had this call that you're going to see what the, the, the two-year kind of stingy here and maybe the 10-year yield a bit more reflective of growth. But again, the, the main event, is just earnings right now right and so that's kind of the ping pong that we have right here but today's market action um looks like it feels pretty good it's it's like wide spread across the board
0: yeah it is and you know it's interesting at the end of yesterday's market call with the great carter worth you broke in with some breaking news and it was obviously apple and you know we discussed it obviously the market sold off not immediately on the back of that but i think it's sort of built into the day but to your point I mean, it really wasn't anything necessarily all that substantiated. And I think short of that news, the day we were having yesterday, yeah. I think it would have continued to the upside. So maybe today is just sort of a continuation of what we probably would have seen yesterday. I don't know. I'm not suggesting I'm right, but that sort of feels like it to me. And here we are. You know, this 3,900 level or so in the S&P continues to be a battleground. But the more things going on, Dan. And we obviously like to slide it Earl, as they say. Yeah.
1: But you know, know, guy, what I was going to what no, what I was gonna say is the end of yesterday when that news came out and the stock market started selling off, we were saying, okay, so here's here's a story about Apple and their spend and their hiring and they're gonna slow and this. But it was just a story; it wasn't a company saying it, right? And so people were extrapolating over whatever they want. And I guess, I, you know, the main point here is as we kind of get into the depths of earnings season, we're gonna see a lot of news cancel it out, you know, each other out, right? We're gonna see some stories that are very company specific or sector specific and maybe don't need to be extrapolated too much. And I guess, you know, one of the reasons why maybe you're seeing this widespread strength across almost every sector in the market is investor positioning right. into this period. We're going to get all these news. And so let's talk about this BOFA. What's BOFA, Guy? That's that, Bank of uh, America,
0: Merrill Lynch, uh, yeah, BOFA. B of A, Merrill Lynch. You recall, they, yeah. you know, it was some Merrill Lynch was on their own. And then obviously, they got yeah. the I work. I do, do you know, guys, that I worked at Merrill Lynch OG, in O?
1: Yeah, I worked at Merrill Lynch in 07, 08, early 09 when that was all happening.
0: And you were not, you didn't, I don't think you loved it. You know, you're more of a free spirit. You didn't need to be in sort of a laced up place like that. So, but I think it probably gave you a good indication or just a good experience. It's sort of what the other side was like, but you were always meant to be sort of on well, my side is they. Say I will. I will side. tell you
1: that, as you know, I came up on the buy side of the business, and I went to Merrill to trade a proprietary, you know, book in the equity derivatives group, and it just kind of speaks to the risk that banks were willing to take back there in the mid aughts or so. So I had a front row seat um, for that. All right, let's talk about this survey though, because really, you know, I, I think you know we're seeing cash levels at highs. So what does that mean? You know, cash has moved to the sideline. People are a bit nervous here. I don't know, man. You know these sentiment? Was at you know, like kind of record lows as far as how people feel about the market, the economy? When you see that sort of data guy, what do you generally think?
0: Well, it's a, this is going to be a somewhat long-winded answer, and I apologize. You never see headlines like this on the flip side. In other okay. words, Bank of America survey shows full investor capitulation in terms of optimism, extreme optimism. Everybody's buying everything, because when that happens, it's deemed to be normal. And then you see this. I think Part of the phenomenon is if people are not in the market and it starts to creep higher, they feel like they're missing out. When they're in the market and it goes lower, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to garner the same attention. That's just me. But what does it mean in the short term? It means we're probably due for the bounce that we're seeing. And that's something we've said for a while. Now, I'll say it hasn't been the straight line bounce that I thought we would get. Obviously, many fits and starts yesterday notwithstanding, today we're back on our horse i'm going to still hold out the not hope but the view that 4100 to the in the s p is sort of in the cards i think carter thought that as well but doesn't mean i'm a raging bull by any stretch of the imagination but this headline and this survey i think bolters my case a little bit
1: yeah no doubt i mean here's this this chart number 13 where's lehman they're of course referring to lehman brothers here guy if you look at that october 08, that little circled area, we're talking about risk levels um, versus normal risk levels here. I guess the one thing that I would say is really different about this period versus that period here is that the Fed was about to embark on a little bit of an experiment, guys, something you've been tracking, I think, since late 08 here. I mean, they were basically going to do multiple rounds of TARP and QE and then just kind of twist and all that sort of stuff here. So to me, I think what's different now is that they're obviously tightening. So you you know you, these are not apples to apples comparisons Do you no agree question
0: about it and i was watching a bit of the halftime report um yeah. with Scott. it's not the, fast money halftime report no i actually think it's just called the although it, it's interesting if you look in the tv guide that you get in the in yeah. the you know in the, in the mail the mail yeah um it actually says in writing fact but that's neither here nor there but i will say it's you know as i was watching a bit of it as i was putting on my shoes on um <laughs> They were having a conversation about the Federal Reserve, and Scott was bringing up the fact that, you know, the one variable now that you can't really just say is equal to other variables is the fact that now the Fed has reversed course. And Josh said something interesting. That would be TRB. He said, and, you know, why do I think it's interesting? Because I've actually said it a number of times myself. Um, If when the Fed is easing and adding liquidity to the system, you have a bearish view, you're effectively fighting the Federal Reserve. So it stands to reason that if you're bullish in an environment where the Fed is taking money away, raising interest rates and reducing their balance sheet, if you're bullish, you're effectively fighting the Federal Reserve. And he actually said that, I'm paraphrasing, on the halftime report. So I think to your point, yeah. it is different on the back of exactly that. '08 and now are completely different times in history. Right. Well, it, let's look at
1: this next chart here. So this is a uh, recession uh, is now a consensus. And again, looking at March of 09 and April 20, again, the Fed was literally, you know, just impaling themselves, right? Trying to get rates lower um, and push people into the markets. They're almost trying to do the exact opposite to the point that you just laid out here. So again, I think it's interesting that there's a lot of investors, strategists kind of focusing on this data right here. But let's look at that aforementioned S&P 500, that 39. Don't 100 level me. here guy i mean you know it wouldn't be market call if we weren't quoting q is that is that is that fair i mean like how could we not do that
0: okay Listen, here's i yeah. think we should have him on just for shits and giggles one day i mean yeah. why not I mean, oh he would do that about him all the time i call I, him cq or just yeah. q but yeah i no, i rarely call him carl anyway please continue no
1: please. no no so this was here this was from john krinsky who's a, a technician here he said the s&p 500 closed below 3928 today that was yesterday it will be the 60th consecutive day bef- uh, below its 50-day moving average the largest longest streak since november of 08 any rallies toward 4 4,000, 4100 should be viewed as an opportunity to reduce risk ahead of a breakdown later this summer. I agree with that, Guy. You you look at the lines I drew. You see that kind of 50-day, which is basically tracking that downtrend that's been in place since late March here. You can see a clear shot right up to 4,200 if there's any reason to do it. Is that what you're playing for, or might we see some decent resistance, another 100 handles in the S&P That's, exa-
0: that's exactly right. And, you know, people will say, you're trying to be too cute. You're yeah. trying to, you know... Tr- You basically be too tactical, which I totally understand, but that's exactly what I think is going to happen. And I've been pretty steadfast I think since June 14th, that last Fed meeting, in so much as I thought the market was due for a rally, 4,100. I would come right around the time that Apple reports, which by the way is next week, I think Apple's quarter will be fine. I think their guidance will be problematic, and you'll probably see it with some of these other big tech uh, names, and I think that's going to be the next leg lower. So I 100% agree with that tweet and that assertion that any rally to those levels should be viewed as an opportunity to pare down risk. All right, let's look at this
1: NASDAQ, Doug. You just mentioned Apple. Apple is obviously a 13% or so, the NASDAQ 100. We're looking at the NASDAQ futures here, and you look at that level at 12,200. We've been kind of talking about that now for it feels like two weeks or so. And, you know, again, the NDX is above that 200 day, or excuse me, the 50 day moving average, but that 13,000, guy, that breakdown level, you know, that's about six percent or so from here. That would be a nice little rally, maybe kind of um, maybe twelve, thirteen percent from those recent lows in mid-June when you started calling for such a rally.
0: yeah. And then, you know, you can look and see, I mean, my eyes work this certain way that if we were in fact, to get that rally, you could basically draw a trend line from those highs we saw in December. Yeah. connect that next top, and you would probably have three points of a downtrend line with a two hundred day moving average that continues to slope lower. So I think, this all makes a lot of sense. And, you know, another little bit of a tidbit, and I'm not going off script necessarily, but I heard this this morning. I don't know if it's necessarily true. I think it is. Seven of the biggest NASDAQ names are all reducing headcount. So just yeah. think about that for a second. So, And you brought this point up a number of times over the last few months, and you've been right to bring it up. I mean, people are reducing headcount. People are cutting back CapEx. And it stands to reason... That earnings are going to, for a lot of these companies, are going to take a hit on the back of that. So, although in the short term I do think we rally, I don't think it's a rally that's going to last, and I think it's a rally that needs to be faded in both the S and P and the Nasdaq.
1: I agree with that and and you know I just haven't had the same sort of gusto as let's say you and Carter playing for that rally getting to that kind of 4100 word, I think yeah I know I think Carter is calling for 4200 I want to make one point there's a um, somebody on Twitter um, something pacifist and and she watches our stuff and we do appreciate you she tweeted at us she wanted to know Carter's view on the Sox I guess he was calling for a bearish move one thing I I think it's really important if you watch Carter's work and this is not me apologizing for a call that, at least in the Sox, that's gone the wrong way. He's been calling for a rally in the S&P 500. Oftentimes, when Carter does his work, he does relative charts, right? A sector versus the broad market. And and that might be the case here. He's calling for that with the financials, the XLF. We went over that yesterday um, also. But again, that's versus the S&P 500. So he's kind of oftentimes mapping this out um, in a relative um, strength basis. But when he's on next, we'll hit the socks um, there, uh, Miss. Passivista. So it's on tomorrow, if
0: I'm not yeah. mistaken. Today is Tuesday, so it stands to, to reason he'll be- be on, on Wednesday, which, by the way, yeah. as I mention all the time, I mean they really screwed the spelling up of Wednesday. But you just you don't, know, don't like I that. D. I mean, it's just it's bad. Farrah, please continue.
1: All right, let's hit. We we're just talking about the Nasdaq futures here, guys. Let's look, talk about Netflix. They're going to report after the close tonight. Fifteen percent implied move in either direction. Last quarter, when they reported, the stock was down thirty-five percent. The quarter before that, it was down twenty-five yeah. percent. You see those two massive gaps. I do think it's interesting that the stock is basically flatlined in May june and july here so far and you see that level that that 200 level guy i you know i said it yesterday i bought a little of the stock um last month i you know i'm up a little bit on it i don't feel like great about it because i fully expect if the news is worse than expected right now they've already floated or at least there's a whisper number for a loss of like two million subs mm-hmm. if it's much worse than that guy this thing is going lower and if you back this chart out we don't have it right here There's a gap all the way down at 140, going back to I think early 2017. And And again, the stock's cheap. But if they're going to be shedding lots of subs, and they have this trans, you know, they're they're kind of moving towards this ad-supported model for the subs that they have not captured, the stock's going to have lower lows. So I'm playing. I think there'll be one more gap at some point this summer. Maybe it's tomorrow. uh, Maybe it's later on. And I'm looking to add there. But I really want to make a bet on Reed Hastings and Sarando that they're going to be able to turn this thing around. I think that's a bet. Ultimately, you'd like to make not when the stock's up
0: 20 bucks into into earnings but maybe when it's down 20 or 30 after earnings this is a tough one because if you just looked at this if I didn't know what it was I'd say wow this is probably a name you can be long sort of 75 25 in terms of the odds in your favor into this earnings release just given those gaps on the upside but if you know the name which we obviously do you say man oh man the broader markets behaved okay and Netflix can't get out of its own way. And to think about how far it's come off, this reminds me a lot of that move we saw in Facebook where it had that initial leg yeah. lower, flatlined for a while, felt like a great setup in earnings, only to report earnings and get lambasted again. So I think, and I'm not speaking for Dan here, but my sense is if whatever comes out and it's not as bad as people expect and the stock rallies 6 to 8%, my inclination is you're probably going to take some risk off the table and look for a back and fill to the downside. And if it does come out as people expect and it's not good and you get that commensurate sell-off, that's gonna be your opportunity to add. And in my head, if you're just trying to trade this thing I think you're on the sideline with a bag of popcorn because I really do think it's a coin flip right here.
1: Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we're in a market guy where if this company puts up a better than expected number, better than expected metrics on the sub losses, that sort of thing. I mean, stock's going to rally. I mean, people have been pressing this thing down. It was at 700, you know, six seven months ago, and here we are now around 200 here. Um, so to me, I guess what I've done in a handful of stocks, and I've mentioned in a market call on numerous occasions over the last month, I bought like a quarter of a position. You know what I mean. So the idea, if any of these stocks had a thirty percent gap after earnings, you know, yeah, that stinks. But I'm legging into these positions. So again, I I don't think this is the sort of market to be a hero and try to make a bet on you know a V bottom in a name that's down sixty five percent because that's what this thing um, is right now. So yeah, that's before
0: we go and yeah. listen quickly. Before I think it's important to mention this, um, in so much as it's a big name, don't underestimate and it's obviously. You know, it's an interesting partner for Netflix to partner up with Microsoft. You know, there were more obvious places for them to go. It makes you wonder what's going on there. So there's a bit of a wild card here as well. Yeah. with this microsoft deal i'm just putting that out there well I don't, again i'm not suggesting i know but it just feels sort of odd to me
1: speaking of a wild card and you just mentioned it guy i mean Microsoft's only up 1.4 percent mm-hmm. today versus a nasdaq that's up two and a half percent and s and is up two and a quarter percent there's something sneaky going on over there sis in my opinion i'm you
0: know i mean who knows well, there? think about what you brought up you brought up service now last week yeah. i think you brought it up on monday maybe it was tuesday's market call you know my days sort of get mixed up here but today Tuesday Look, brother last week I oh said, last sorry week, sorry hold the sorry. shit out of your ears on this market call <laughs> sorry, and you sorry, were right sorry. to bring it up because again it's not about service now necessarily yeah. but it's about the space and the end yep. inter- exactly right yep. and what yep. does it mean for a name like Microsoft so maybe one of the reasons it continues to lag is because when they report you know obviously they guided on currency whatever it was a month and a half or so ago you yep. so again if they got on demand that's going to be a problem, and nobody's cared about their valuation for years, nor should you really necessarily. But you know, if you do see a demand guide, people are going to really hone in on valuation, and it's an expensive stock in this environment.
1: Well, I mean listen, when you're looking at the rest of the MAGA complex, I'm looking at Amazon up three and a half percent, Google up three percent, Apple up two percent, getting back all those losses from yesterday. So, you know, Microsoft only up one and a half percent or so sticks out like a sore thumb in this market. Hey guy, this section, Amanda and I, this is really
0: this is really made for you here. Okay, buddy. I just like so I just wanna I wanna show you something. See, that's I don't know if you can see my pinky, it's sort of bent. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned hold on look at that. Can you see how bent that is? Oh man. Um, so you mentioned sore thumbs. That's a that's a sore pinky. <laughs> that's a anyway, sore pinky.
1: No, I get it, man. Um, you know, I mean, you know what they say about trying to pick bottoms, and I think that's a really important point in earnings season. Well, what do you get? You get stinky fingers, or you get whatever you got going on there with that um, pinky there, guy. But let's look at the VIX here. We haven't we haven't looked at the VIX in a while, and I'm not a huge fan of charting the VIX, other than from kind of marrying it maybe with some kind of sentiment indicators or what we might think in, into a volatile period like we're going to go into as it relates to earnings and then obviously the Fed next week. But you look at this thing on a one-year basis and you see, you know, it's not a surprise to you that the VIX bottomed guy in early November. That was right before the Fed's pivot, if you will, right? Acknowledging that they, um, you know, better start paying attention to uh, inflation that does not seem to be at this point transitory, right? Well, look at that. You see where that trend line is about 21. I'm backing this out a little bit, Guy, to the start of 2020 here. And what do you see from early this year? You see a series of of basically lower highs and lower do. lows, you, you see do. some tension building here. Talk to me about what your expectation is if you get your move to forty one hundred or forty one fifty, or maybe it overshirts to forty two hundred in the S and P five hundred. Where do we see the VIX bottom out, and where would you say that the fix is probably a decent indicator for a uh, for a sell of the of uh, the stock of the market, the broader market? Yeah. Right
0: now, I think that's a, that's the question, right? So where does it bottom out? 22 which probably puts yeah. us right right around that uptrend line that you drew, that green line, that would make sense. And that's where we've seen support recently. I would throw this back at you again. I'm I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I think people for the first time in a while set themselves up for bearish scenarios in the market vis-a-vis options. And you saw the initial spike in the VIX, but I think one of the reasons the VIX hasn't spiked like it historically does on massive sell-offs is because people have been prepared for this move, right? It didn't re- really didn't come out of thin air. It was something that was sort of set up for a while. So I think that's what's different in the VIX. Not to suggest you can't get a spike on some sort of event that none of us see coming, but I think that's what's going on. So although the VIX is a great measure, I think that's what it's telling you now. And you know now people are again talking about the fact that bond volatility is absurd, as is currency volatility. And I've said this for a while. I think it is, you know, at a certain point it manifests itself in the equity volatility but we're not there yeah. yet 21 and a half is the level where it bottoms out that's where the market should top out and that's where you take profits and stocks and I think look for the next leg lower in the market
1: yeah well to your point before we hit bond volatility guy i mean listen if this thing were to overshoot right let's say the rally goes a bit longer than some might expect in stocks you might see this thing at 18 or 19 and and i gotta tell you if there's not a major pivot from the fed at that point you would say that uh, equity risk is just massively mispriced but talk to me a little bit we we mentioned the move index this is um a volatility index on um on treasuries here What what is this telling you it's come off a little bit it's obviously been a, a, a little bit more, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a, a little bit
0: feistier than equity vol. It's not what
1: you would expect in an equity bear market, would you, you No know,
0: Well, you know, one of our crack producers, Brendan Bresney, before we got on, was asking me about the bond market and what the move in 10-year yields syndic- you know, basically indicated. Yeah. And it, what's interesting is there are a number of different answers it can be. So to answer your specific question, bond volatility is ridiculous right now. Yes, it's come off a bit, but it's still absurd. I mean, 10-year yields go from 275 to 330, back to 275, up to 309, down to 292. This is 10-year yields in the United States. Again, I've said this, it should be the most liquid asset in the history of mankind, but it trades like a biotech stock. That's a problem. And I think to a certain extent, the bond market doesn't know what to do here. People are very confused. Should it be? Should yields be lower because growth is slowing? Should yields be higher in 10-year because inflation's out of control? I think that's the push-me-pull-you situation going on. But again, bond volatility is reaching levels we haven't seen, obviously, since the market got schmizeled back in 2020, March, April 2020. And does that really make a lot of sense? I mean, you can understand why it did it then. Why is it doing it now? That's what you really have to ask yourself.
1: Yeah, and to your point, I mean, you've been tracking the 210 spread. You were calling for an inversion there. We have it. It's about the, as wide as it's been in this cycle here. It's uh, 20 basis points or so. And you go back and you look, you know, 20 years or so, um, you know, the wides were what, 50 or a little over 50 bips here. So, you know, in the near term, if we take a look at what the CME FedWatch tool is expecting, that, okay, way. for uh, the rate increase at next week's meeting, it's showing, you know, a greater than 70% chance of a 75% basis point hike and about a 50 50 chance of another 75 um in September and I think that uncertainty right is probably one of the things that's going to keep volatility around you see that two-year looks like as Amanda kind of teased in our note that's on riskreversal.com it looks like the two-year yields ready to party here guy and if some of the data starts coming in a little bit weaker that's how you get that broadened right the widening of that yield curve that you've been calling for
0: well, I think it takes 10-year, in that scenario that you just outlined, weaker yeah. data it takes 10-year yields down maybe to 2.5%. That's something that Carter Worth has talked about. And you're not going to get nearly the commensurate move in two years. I think two years are going to stay pesky and persistent yeah. somewhere around three three oh five. And listen, you can do that math as can I. I think we widen out to negative 50 basis points in terms of this inverted yield curve. And again, I'm not an economist. I said, what do I say all the time, Dan? I'm not smart enough nor humorless, humorless. enough to be an economist. But I will yeah. tell you, I don't think it's good. I actually was in class that day in economics. And I remember yeah. the professor saying, that ain't good, G-swiz. You know didn't you did know, say G-Swizz, you call me Guy, but I mean. You were
1: not G-Swizz back then. Guy, do, do your ears ring? Like So So here's the thing. I like to quote you. When, I, when I'm on, on Fast Money and you're not on, I'll often quote you. I would never use that one, that, that economist one that is so G-Swizz here. But last night I did say, as Guy Adami would say, pesky and persistent here. <laughs> I just feel like you, you deserve that. You know what I mean? Um, you know, I mean, your ears Matt, ring a little no, bit on that or no?
0: No, I appreciate that. I do. because, But, you know, that's something. We've said now for a while that you know people you have talk said about it. peak and you know that's fine. I'll give you a peak because I actually do think this nine point one uh, print we saw a couple weeks, or last week, whatever yeah, it was, last, last is weekend. probably going to wind up being peak. Given the move we've seen in commodities, but it doesn't mean it's not going to continue to be persistent and pesky. And I think that's the problem. And just if you can do the math real quick, because I know you can, you know, crude oil is probably. Let's just say commodities in general. I've come off 30 to 35% ish, right? So if the CPI were to come off 30 or 35%, you'd still have a six handle on it. That'd be still be three times what the Fed is looking for in terms of their inflation target. So yeah. it's all still skewed really poorly right now. And that's just me doing math in my head because I can do that. Yeah,
1: guy. Just so you know, good, as right. as we're talking here, Carter Braxtonworth, worth a worth charting sends out an email. I mean, basically mapping out to a T what you were looking for in the S and P five hundred, how it should make a clear shot um, to four thousand. That's been his call. I know you guys both will think it overshoots there, but I just do think it's important. If you like this stuff, if you like market call, check out his work because I love getting his emails um, throughout the day, guy. Let's at talk.
0: Midnight. I mean, he's dropping stuff at midnight. He's he, like, he's like, he's, you know, he's <laughs> like, he's like a college basketball pro. You know, when they can start Midnight Madness. This, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Carter. He's we should maybe we just call him Madness from now on. I'm going to think about that. Now, well, at least well yeah, yeah
1: he doesn't speak, he, he doesn't scream madness, in no, my opinion. That's why
0: but, it's such a fitting name. But well, let, let's talk about the dollar he's It's he like was, calling a real tall guy, you know, shorty. Or yeah. real fat guy, slim. Yeah, you know, it's the same. Yeah. As it's a C- by did- You can call yeah. me. You yeah. can call me Slim, buddy. All right, let's talk about this dollar
1: pullback. Carter's been calling for it. We talked about it last week on uh, the uh, market call. We actually did a deep dive on it yes, last we week. We we're talking about one way to play would be through UUP. Puts here, but we also thought that if it were to check back to that breakdown level, or excuse me, the breakout level, of multiple years in the DIXIE the U.S. Dollar Index, you want to buy it. But here, if you just look at the one-year chart, we do not have to draw any lines. We just do the draw 50 days. Yeah, they did draw themselves, as, as our friend would say. Here, look where that 50-day uh, moving average is. It's 104 and a half. I think that would be a fairly healthy sort of pullback. But one thing I will say, guy, with this happening. In earnings season, it actually makes corporate earnings that much harder to guide to, right? Because you have all this volatility. Um, You know, uh, the the Dixie was what? 104 late June. It was 108 last week. It feels like it's on its way back to 104. Who wants to call a bottom? I don't want to call a bottom in it when it gets there because I think you would agree that some of the forces of why the Dixie, why the US dollar has gone up, um, you know, are not about to abate anytime soon.
0: Well, one of the things that I've said, you know, sort of incorrectly but it seems to be now you know catching some steam is the fact that if the broader market were to find its footing i think you'll see the dollar come off because in a lot large extent you know the dollar not only has been a flight to quality but the dollar's obviously been marked up against other currencies globally and you see what's been happening so now as our market seems to have found at least for the short term a bit of stable footing here you can see why, especially given the fact that everybody seems to be consensus in the dollar, it yeah. would come off here. And I think that can continue to happen. It doesn't mean the dollar is going to crater by any stretch. And I think the dollar bottoms around the same time the market tops out. So, you know, I don't know what happens first, but it's probably going to coincide uh, pretty closely.
1: Yeah, let's look at this uh, dollar relationship to crude oil, because this is one that obviously had that really sharp pullback here. And we know, you know, the relationship between dollar and crude. And what are we seeing right now? So we're seeing the Dixie come in. We're seeing crude rally. Who knows what it has to do with as far as supply demand as it relates to crude. But one thing that you and I can both agree in, in unless that long term, you know, inverse relationship is out the Door here, And it might be, given some of the weird dynamics as far as the global economy, supply chains, you know, access to energy in Europe, that sort of thing. But look at this chart, year-to-date guy. Um, This is uh, crude in green, and you see the US dollar index in white here. Might we see a convergence? If you see the Dixie back near 104 and a half, that would be the 50-day. Might you see crude oil back at 110 or so? And then we gotta make a call here. And I just wanna kinda back this out, you know, going to uh, 2012, and you know you see what happened here crude oil was acting very well in the years following the financial crisis we know that there was this global reflation trade china had a huge stimulus thing going on but as soon as we ended zerp and started qe and the u.s dollar started to rally crude oil went from i don't know 120 or 115 or so guy all the way down to like 30 bucks Mm -hmm. or something like that in ensuing years so look at the way that dixie and crude have both rallied since the start of 2021 something got to give there talk to me yeah, about it
0: well and look at the support next chart you have a great support line and you actually said this for a while you thought crude would trade down to sort of that you know 88 or so level and you have a horizontal line that shows exactly that kudos to you and not only have you been saying you were saying it 30 dollars or so ago yeah. and it played out but i'll say this you know we seem to be bouncing off that 200 day moving average i think again it's going to test probably the 50 on the upside and we'll probably job around in between but I don't think it's coincidental, and this is not a political comment at all, but, you know, crude sort of bottomed right around the time uh, President Biden made his trip to Saudi Arabia. So it was sort of sell the news, sell yeah. the rumor, buy the news effectively in our world, and you're seeing it. So the supply-demand fundamentals haven't changed at all, and I don't think the Saudis are about to do us any favor. So I do think crude gets on its horse here, which will coincide again with the dollar selling off a little bit. We'll see how it all plays out. I do think, and I've thought this for a while incorrectly, that there's another leg higher in crude, we'll see what happens at the back half of this year.
1: All right, so let me ask you, other than playing through crude, um, using the futures, uh, obviously um, that's one way to do it, and you can kind of identify your level, set stops, that sort of thing. What do you think about large integrated names? It seemed like a little more than a month ago, people were pretty geeked up about the Exxon Mobil. The stock made a new all-time high above its 2014 highs here. It had that really sharp pullback guy. Look where that, it came right back to support. You're right around 80 or so, and it bounced there. Never touched that 200-day moving average. Average. Do you want to play through large integrators if you're playing for further crude bounce?
0: If you're an equity player, absolutely. I think, you know, look, I actually I would do more levered names, sort of the downstream things yeah. like Phillips 66 or the Valeros or APA Corp, those types of names. Listen, Warren Buffett doesn't seem to be backing off. His stake in Occidental continues to grow. He obviously sees something. So, you know, I'm not saying you have to be like Warren, but I mean, he's obviously sees something. I happen to agree. Piper Sandler says twenty five percent from here. That's about a twenty or so dollar move, which sort of makes sense. So yeah, I'm I'm on board with this one, Dan. I think it's okay, and and I do think crude's going to rally. We'll see. I I didn't think we'd sell off as precipitous as we did. You did. Yeah. Um, but I do think we can bounce them here for sure.
1: Right. All right. And real quickly, let's hit a couple more things before we get out of here. But look at this copper. Our friend Carter, who gets a lot of play Dr. when he's... copper. I, I've
0: never used that term. I, I just thought well, I'd you just say. did.
1: You just did, buddy. Um, on Friday, he was saying play copper for a bounce. Thought it was a bit overdone. You see that move, man? Oof, like 450 down to three, what three and a quarter, or something like that. Had a nice rally yesterday. That was the day after he made a call. I think he put that note out on Friday. But let's quickly go to this fcx chart here man to the penny you see that that My low tweeted
0: that by the way or i From think bat- tweeted it or maybe no nah, i
1: I, I put it in our text you, oh. you're such a boomer you don't know the difference between a text and a tweet i don't know maybe you guys have that on your bingo card but look at that guy to the penny is that how you would play for a bounce in copper
0: it is and hold on one second yes to the penny is exactly right that's a great chart i got people barking dogs yelling i got people coming to the house but i think fcx is way too cheap here i think there's another leg higher in these industrial metals so yes dan nathan well
1: look at that 50-day moving average in the fcx it kind of lines up with that may low which is also that kind of late jan low ish if you will so maybe that would be your target but let, let's let's be clear guy this is in a very you know steep downtrend here it would like really look interesting to fade that if it we're to kind of get towards that 50-day. All right, lastly, lastly, Mike Novogratz. Um, he is the CEO founder of Galaxy Digital. That's a digital assets firm here. He was speaking somewhere, I think at Bloomberg today, talking about Bitcoin. He still thinks within five years, he can get to um, a half a million. I'm saying a whole bunch of other stuff here. He thinks kind of the lows are in. Yesterday on Market Call, we hit another crypto influencer or finfluencer, if you will, Raul Paul. He's also all in on the crypto here. He was saying he thinks the bottom's in. Talk to me about just kind of where Novo's coming from. And you look at this Bitcoin and you say to yourself, okay, maybe it made a little bit of a double bottom there in 18.5 or so. And maybe it's a straight shot to that breakdown level near, I don't know, 29,000 or something. Thoughts on the Bitcoin yeah, and think, what some of these guys are saying. I think
0: that's exactly right. And the real move has been in Ethereum, which I'm sure you have a chart there as well. If you don't, I apologize. Yeah, but there you go do. i mean that's really where the player's been and that's what's been partying so can you see a relief rally here yeah i mean i guess with all those headlines again with all these companies sort of blowing up over the last couple of weeks it made sense now i think bitcoin is finding its footing once again so i guess it all makes sense and you know this really played out exactly how carter thought and, I, and yesterday on market call he said "You know, you probably can see bitcoin back to 25 and then we'll have another conversation that's probably how it plays out
1: yeah. So really quickly, I think I talked about a market call in May. I started buying ETH um, a little above 2,000, 2,100. I had been long um, for a while. I definitely took some off um, prior to that and I bought it all the way down. I bought some at 867 guy. I mean, that didn't feel great to buy some at 2,100 and be averaging down um, to 867. But here we are, you know, like nearly 1,600. And If we like were to mark. get... Like, 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 one, two, like, my name is Bismarck. If we were to get to, you know, back towards that 2000 in front of this kind of move from proof of work to proof of stake that should be tested next month, I might look to take some
0: profits there and kind of look for a pullback here. So I think that's it, guy. I think we covered a lot of ground here, we buddy. And that was fun. By the way, nobody has this on their big note card. So tough shit, but the stake. <laughs> is Steve Miller Band's best song. I'm just putting it out there. By the way, Steve Miller from the state of Wisconsin. I'm sure we'll talk to EY from SoFi about that on Thursday. But that's it for today. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, Dan, where risk, in fact, meets opportunity. I want to thank uh, Open Exchange for powering us. And if you like the show, send us comments. You can send videos. You can send all those things. Don't send videos. Don't Don't send videos. videos. It's a bad idea. Send emojis, smiley face. Whatever bullshit you use, send it to us. We want to hear it. We'll be back tomorrow, Dan, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, we will. With the great uh, Carter Braxton Worth. And again, for you Met fans that are upset that Alonzo didn't win, suck it up. (laughs) All right, man. I'll see you tomorrow, guy.